Well, guys, good morning and welcome. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. I know there, there may still be a few guys coming in as we, uh, as we get going here, but I want to be good stewards of your time, get you on the road by 7. I know some of you have uh, jobs that, that start right after that. And, and I'll say this right from the start, if your job starts at you know, whatever time and you got to leave 6.55 every week, that's totally fine. Um, uh, pretty, pretty casual environment in here, so feel free to, to leave when you need to. But uh, we'll always be pretty prompt getting done at 7. Sometimes I'll steal an extra minute or two, but, uh, but I'll do my best to, to get you out of here at 7. But let me, let me say a word of prayer, and we'll, uh, we'll get started. God, we love you, and we are grateful for uh, the men who are in this room, the guys who have chosen to commit themselves to um, diving into Genesis and, and soaking up everything we can from your word over the next 10 weeks. I, I pray for us. I pray for uh, what lies ahead in, in the daily work of, of digging into your word and, and seeking to understand it. Lord, this is an ancient book, and, and sometimes that can mean uh, that, our, that our studies are challenging and that there's parts we don't understand. But I pray that through the power of your spirit, you'd illuminate um, as, as we study. You'd bring to life what you have written, Lord, and you would allow the promises that you've given us about your scripture to play out in our lives. We'd see the benefit um, as, as we give ourselves to it day in and day out. So guide our time, guide our time this morning as we, uh, as we orient ourselves to this book and, and begin to um, set this, the, the table, so to speak, for the study ahead. I, I just pray over our time. We give it to you, and um, I pray that you would uh, bless it. Lord, bless the, the relationships we build and the, the things we'll learn, and um, would we uh, depart this room different men in, in 10 weeks than we are today. That's what we always want when we encounter your word. So uh, lead us, guide us, protect us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Men of the Word. Uh, we're really excited to, to have you guys here. And uh, I say this every time we, we start off a, a new cycle. This is one of my favorite rooms in this church. I love Men of the Word. I love uh, what, 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 what's represented, the potential that's represented uh, in this room. Um, so really excited to, to dive in and get started. Um, today is the start of our 13th cycle of, of Men of the Word, so uh, always fun to, to go back and, and look over the, the different things we've studied through the years. Uh, I know for many of you, this is your very first time doing Men of the Word, so we're excited to have you. Uh, today is orientation. We're going to get you caught up to to what we're doing here, uh, the way we do things, sort of the format of Men of the Word. So if you're brand new, uh, you know, this will be a, a, a great place to start. For a lot of you who have been here before, uh, there'll be some things you've heard before um, as we set the stage and, and uh, get our foundations laid, but, uh, but hopefully good refreshers to inspire us into the work that lies ahead of us. Um, uh, but, but yeah, uh, today we're starting Genesis Part 2. So uh, we kicked off, for those of you who were with us in the fall, uh, we, we kicked off the, our, our study of the book of Genesis back then for 10 weeks last fall through the first 11 chapters. And then uh, this morning we will start, really tomorrow we'll start digging into chapter 12 and then heading our way through uh, all the way to, to, to chapter 50. So we have, you know, we only did 11 chapters in the fall. Uh, the pace was a little bit slower as, as we just basically tackled a, uh, a chapter a week. I think there was one week that there was a little more than that. But, um, but this... So this time around this cycle, we've got a, a, a faster click rate because we got uh, uh, 38 chapters to get through. So um, going to be really good. If you've studied Genesis before, there's a lot of rich stuff in the second half. Um, and I love the way that this study approaches it all. So uh, really looking forward to digging into all that with you. But uh, before we get into Genesis itself, I do want to get you caught up for those who missed the first half and 
hey, it's been two months for all of us, so uh, you probably are all forgetting where we ended in chapter 11. But um, before we get into that stuff, I want to start off really just with some orientation to Men of the Word, what we're up to, big picture stuff, what we're trying to accomplish. So if you have your notebooks, go ahead and open those up uh, to the first page. And I want to I want to go through just a few of, uh, of these things and make sure um, that we're all on the same page as we dive in. So uh, what are we up to? Men of the Word is an inductive Bible study environment here at Emmaus Church um, that has two primary objectives, two big goals. You can see those right there on the first page of the notebook. First one, we're seeking to cultivate spiritual maturity at Emmaus Church. This is without a question our prim- primary goal. It's, it's our goal for all of you individually. We want to see spiritual maturity begin to grow in your life uh, that may already be present. It may not be at all. As you sort of evaluate your heart, you um, may realize like, wow, I have, I have a lot of growth to do to be a man of God, a man of the word. Um, uh, if, that's, if that's true for you this morning, awesome. Welcome. We're really glad you're here. We believe that the, the pattern, the system we've set up will, will be very beneficial to you. If you've already grown, if you've seen God uh, transform your life over the last few years and, and you are uh, in some ways seeing some spiritual maturity, the beauty of the spiritual life is God always has more for us. We're never quite done, are we? So uh, we're, we're hoping that as you dig in, you'll see growth as well. But uh, the Bible is so clear that when um, men thrive, when men step towards spiritual seriousness in their life and, and pursue the Lord with diligence and with zeal and with uh, effort, uh, families thrive, and churches thrive, and communities thrive. There's this thing, this mantle of spiritual leadership that, that God has placed in His Word upon men specifically, that when we take that seriously and we step into it, good things begin to happen, not just in our life, but begin to trickle out of us as well. And so, in a very real sense, we talk about this every every time we start as well. Men of the Word is not just for the men of Emmaus Church. We, we do call it Men of the Word. We are a part of our men's ministry here at the church, but in a very real sense, this is in equal parts a, a ministry, a, a, an effort to benefit the women of Emmaus Church and to benefit the children of Emmaus Church and the students. We totally believe that that uh, there's a, a multiplying exponential effect that can happen when men take their spiritual lives seriously, when they don't just you know have diligence in your career and in your uh, HOA board and the other your hobbies. You know, men can can throw a lot of effort at a lot of different things in our life, but but if if we're not throwing it at the Lord, there's a huge part of our life that's languishing, and uh, that's the piece we really want to step into and, and dive towards. Because when, when it is neglected, when our, when our lives are neglected, um, it's not just us that flounders. Uh, our, our families flounder as well. There's a leadership vacuum that, that I think Satan can really pounce upon and, and create some havoc in our lives. And so uh, it matters. All, all that to say, our, our spiritual lives matter. The Bible has so many examples of this uh, reality playing out, this, this mantle of, of spiritual leadership playing out. And, and honestly, to, to start us off, I'd just love to talk about two. Um, Adam is, is a guy that we studied pretty detailed in the fall. And to be quite honest, I think he's a, a pretty good example of a bad dude when it comes to this issue of spiritual leadership in his life. Um, if, if you know his story, uh, he just really neglects his role to care for 
to take his faith seriously and to care for those around him. So, um, you know, God instructs him in Genesis chapter 2 that he's to keep the garden, uh, that he has the whole garden to enjoy, Garden of Eden. He's uh, to name the animals and to uh, cultivate and to keep and to express dominion over them and to sort of rule over this creation that God has entrusted him to. He's, uh, his wife is created. He's brought together with Eve. Um, and he's, uh, he alone is actually given the law of God to not eat this one particular uh, tree. And, and what happens? We watched it all fall apart. Like just uh, one chapter later in chapter 3, suddenly a snake is there. And not just any snake, it's Satan, and he is talking to Adam's wife and deceiving her. So Adam's already failed. Even before the snake says one word, Adam has failed to keep the garden. He's failed to express dominion. He's failed to keep an eye on things and manage his household uh, properly, in a sense. And then on top of that, when Satan starts tempting his wife, where's Adam? Adam's the one who's given the law. Adam's the one who uh, has been instructed by God to sort of lead his family in that way. And, uh, and he's not there to intervene. Uh, in fact, he goes right along with the problem. You see the fall of mankind happen in that moment. Um, and then further, in the very next generation, as his son starts struggling with sin, we saw this in chapter 4, um, where's Adam? Where's dad? Where is the father figure who's able to, uh, with the, the Lord is intervening in Cain's life and trying to tell him sin's crouching at your door. You got a master over it. We saw that back in chapter 4 last, last year. But uh, but Adam doesn't show up. He doesn't uh, provide that extra help to his son. And, and Cain murders Abel uh, right in the next generation. Sin just keeps right on going. And I was even thinking about this too. Uh, we saw how long, like the, the generations in, in the part, uh, first part of Genesis are very clearly laid out. And, and Adam ended up living 930 years, which means that he was alive all the way through 10 generations um, when, when Lamech was born. And Lamech was the father of Noah. So, uh, and if you remember, uh, this is a little bit helpful for all of you who, who missed part one. Um, if you remember, by the time we get to Noah, sin has destroyed like the entire earth. Um, chapter six, as we're getting into Noah's life, it says uh, that the desires of, of man's heart were wicked at every moment, all the time. Like uh, sin had just pervasively spread throughout the earth. Uh, there was no one righteous on the planet. God chooses Noah, but even Noah has his own problems. But, uh, but sin has just prolifically spread out. And Adam was alive through 56 years of, of Noah's dad's life. So like everybody could have still gone to Adam and asked about what what was it like to walk with God in the garden? You know, there, there was first-person accounts of this stuff, uh, first-person uh, influence that could have been extended upon uh, the entire world as sin is spreading so prolifically. But, but he's an example of a, of a guy who didn't take his leadership seriously and who allowed um, his family to go the way they wanted. I just want to be liked. I just want to, I don't want to create tension. I don't want to create a fight at home. He did not exert that, that spiritual leadership that God called him to, and, and bad things happened all around him. Um, conversely, my favorite example is always Daniel. You've probably uh, read that story. You're familiar with it. Uh, if not, it's a great one to read. We studied that at Men of the Word years ago. But, uh, but Daniel, conversely, uh, in, in contrast to Adam, he's such a good example of faithfulness and a guy who takes his, his mantle of responsibility seriously. And, and without even trying, he ends up just like, fruitfulness flows out of his life. So remember him, he's the one who's, as a teenager, he's taken uh, from Israel to Babylon. He's, he's, uh, this is during the uh, Babylonian captivity. Um, and he, uh, you know, taken away, ripped out of his family's uh, hands. He's taken away from dad and mom, and, and he's suddenly in a, in a new town. And the way Babylon would conquer 
uh, new lands is that they'd take the br- brightest and the best and the, uh, the, um, the most you know, opportune of, of the next generation, and they would bring them to indoctrinate them, not to make them slaves, but to give them wealth and to give them money and to turn them into Babylonians. Then they would send them back to their culture, and in that way they'd conquer culture. They wouldn't even try to uh, uh, enslave them. They would just try to impress their values upon them. So here's Daniel, and in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, in Babylon's mind, he is there to be indoctrinated. But what does Daniel do? He resists. As a teenager, rather than having the freedoms of liberty and being able to go run wild and whatever uh, he wanted to do, he's, he's offered all this, uh, all this opportunity, all this wine, all this uh, freedom to eat whatever he wants and probably freedom to do whatever he wanted, and yet he grabs three buddies and they refuse to depart from the law of the Lord. They just have this like strength, this steel in their character, and they start walking with God, and, and God uses them to actually start to, rather than being influenced and indoctrinated, they start to push back. They start to cause the other guys in their cohort to um, begin to walk in, in faithfulness to, to God's commands. Um, it begins to spread. God honors Daniel through that. You can go study the whole thing. The, the world around Daniel flourishes as he continues to take his faith seriously. And, and this, this just happens again and again in the Bible. You can read so many examples. King David, as a child, as a young man, as king, is a great example of this. Uh, certainly had his mistakes as well, but on the whole, brought great health to the people around him. Same thing with King Asa, King Josiah, King Hezekiah, uh, Elijah, the prophet, Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, In the New Testament, you got Zechariah, Joseph, the Philippian jailer. There's so many uh, examples of this in the Bible we could talk about, but but the, the mantra is true. And I say all that to, in some way, hopefully, instill in your soul a motivation to see that happen in your own life as we get started here. Um, what lies ahead of you, men, as we go through men of the word is work. <laughs> I mean that, it's, especially as we go through Genesis part two. You're not reading four verses a day. You're reading a chunk, and it's a 3,500-year-old document. So uh, there's, there's challenges to trying to glean truth out of it. You're going to have to work. But God does something when we do that work. He does something in our souls that is profound for us and profound for the people around us. God's word has so many promises in scripture about what it can do when we fix our eyes upon it. It changes us. Like few, th- you know, there's all these commercials that are like, this changes everything. And, and if you buy this phone or this, this device or you go on this vacation, it'll, it'll radically transform your life. But few things actually ever change us. But one thing that absolutely will promised again and again in in here is this book. If you will give yourself to it, if you will will become a man who who looks to it every single day and seeks to not just read words, but encounter the God who's indwelt his spirit into this thing, you will be shaped. I mean, this thing is is radioactive power for your life. It it, it will uh, shift everything about you if you will... uh, Give yourself to it. And we have so many promises from the Bible that, that point us to that. I mean, we're told it's our daily bread, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Second uh, Timothy 3, we're told it's God-breathed, it's profitable for reproof, for rebuke, for correction, and training in righteousness. Um, it, it will do those things. It's profitable. It'll always bear a return. We're told in, in 1 Peter 2 that it is milk to nourish our souls. In Hebrews 4, that it's a double-edged sword to expose our sin and cut out the bad parts of our life. Um, it's meat to grow us. When we put down our roots into it, we will grow strong. We will become oaks like planted beside water who soak up everything we need to be fruitful to God. And even when life gets hard and, and the leaves should be withering, we're not withering because we're planted in the Word. That's what the Word does. Uh, so 
you know, all that to say, be men of the word, give yourself to this process, and, and uh, I believe firmly that God will uh, allow it to provoke um, rich transformation in your life that will last for generations. Um, I think I've shared this story in here before. I know I've shared it on a Sunday in a sermon, but, but this is totally how it played out in my own life. Uh, 100% the reason that I am who I am spiritually is because of a habit of studying the scripture that began for me in ninth or 10th grade. I get the years mixed up, but uh, I grew up in the church. I was saved at a young age um, and honestly struggled with spiritual doubt and, and wondering, like, am I really saved? I probably said the sinner's prayer 10,000 times in middle school because I was reading the Left Behind books and just totally persuaded that I was going to, you know, the rapture was going to happen and I was going to be left behind and and uh, every time I prayed it, I'm like, did it work, Lord? You know, do, did you really save me? Is my faith strong enough? Is this working? I mean, I just sort of lived in that rhythm for the longest time, uh, unable to have the security and the assurance that the Bible tells us we'll have as children of God, up until the moment that an older man in my life began to invest in me spiritually. Uh, he was in 12th grade. I was a freshman. But he began to, little by little, began to encourage me to read the Bible. I went to a Bible study with him. Um, uh, he was trying to date my sister, so he invited me. But I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I was glad for the invitation and, uh, and uh, glad to go with him. And it was just a group of men. And literally, they, the first time I'm there, the, Big Dog Bible Studies it was called, first time I'm there, there's like 10 of us, they hand me a reading plan, not dissimilar from the notebook in front of you, and they handed me a blank journal there was no notebook with questions to answer. And they just said, hey, read what's on here. And it was every day, seven days a week. And then write something in your notebook. And then come back next week, and you're going to open your notebook in front of all of us and read from it. Well, that's okay. I can do that. So I, I started doing it. I'm only doing it for Jonathan Bannis, the guy who invited me and trying to fit into this crowd. You know, it was the good kind of peer pressure. Praise be to God. But, uh, but it shaped me. I was doing it for them, but little by little, God still, even with bad motivations, you can't read this book and not be shaped by it. So um, I say all that, again, to just encourage you guys to give yourselves to the Word of God, and you will find, as I did, that little by little, not, not any single day on its own. That's what's crazy about the Word. It's, it's not the meals that shape us. It's the habit of eating. It's the habit of putting down roots. It's the habit of every day uh, being shaped by this thing. That is what shapes you. And that is, is what uh, always will shape us. So um, that's our goal. We want to see you grow. We want to see you develop. And we're going to give ourselves to the only thing we know that can make that happen, which is the Word. Um, second goal here, uh, we're seeking to develop authentic biblical community among the men at our church. Um, this is always a, a, a big deal here as well. I would say an equal second goal. Uh, we need each other. We, we, this thing called the church is not, uh, not an invention of man and not a, a prescription of man. This is something God has given for your benefit. You are meant to have relationships with other men and women in your life, spiritual family that's meant to do something very powerful in your life. The way we process our spiritual life, the way we grow, the way we're hearing sermons and responding to them is not meant to happen in isolation. It's meant to happen in community. And there are pockets in other places in our church to find that. Missional community groups is a great one. Uh, Reengage is a great one. There's a, there's a lot of ways uh, to meet people. Coming on Sundays and coming early and hanging out in the lobby and getting to know people is another great way to do it. But uh, this is one of the places that, that can happen uh, best for men finding other brothers and, and building those relationships with, with dudes. So uh, we're pretty um, intentional about putting you at tables 
keeping you together all year long. So uh, typically we don't really assign the tables until week two. We kind of give you a week to say, I thought I wanted to do this, but I don't. I'm out. Um, but hey, you paid money. You're in. So uh, we're going to assume uh, that you're in this time. And, uh, and the tables we're at will will uh, we'll sort of be the group all, all semester. So um, they don't have to be your best friends, uh, but I hope you will uh, get to know them and build relationships with them. Come early, get to know names, get to know stories, go to breakfast afterwards, and, and try to knit in. Because uh, if, if there's anything I've seen again and again spiritually, it is Satan attacks the ones who are alone. Man, does he. Um, and I get most worried when I see sheep in our church who aren't showing up. Um, because it's never a good reason. So, um, and it's not just coming that matters, it's knitting in. It's getting to know guys and, and, and being known as well. So uh, I encourage you, open up, uh, be willing to be known. Uh, don't just know names, but try to know hearts, and uh, hopefully the Lord will honor that as you go. Um, but those are our goals. How do we seek to accomplish this? Flip the page to the, to the back there. Uh, there's three parts to Men of the Word. Each one's important and very intentional. Um, and we'd ask you to commit to all three of these as you, as you go about it. First, daily personal reading. That's the homework. Uh, as you sort of flip ahead, you can see in your notebooks there, we've got uh, uh, five days a week of work for you that's uh, been prepared. This is a study that was um, written by Jen Wilkin, produced by Lifeway, that we've gotten permission to sort of uh, put together in a different format for you here. But um, this is the same study that uh, your wives um, are going through if they've signed up for Women's Bible Study. Our goal there is to have as much synergy in your home, allow you to have some good conversations if you're both doing that. Um, but, uh, but the goal is for you to do this work every single day, to, to dig in, to, uh, to, to be uh, led through the study as you, um, as you try to grasp what's going on here in Genesis. Um, so do your work. Come every week prepared with some notes on the different questions that were asked. Um, that'll lead into the second part here, the weekly discussion groups. That's your table time. We'll start off with the first 30 minutes or so at the tables um, for your chance to be able to process what you're learning. What stood out to you? What did God teach you? What questions were challenging? We'll bring up a few of the questions we think are most impactful, but, uh, but this is really an opportunity for you to dialogue and to process what you're learning with other men, uh, be able to share your heart and, and hear other men share theirs and allow that good thing of uh, exhortation and, and accountability to play out. Um, and then all that leads into our teaching time where uh, myself or other men from this room will, will teach and lead us through uh, the preaching of God's Word, this, this interesting habit that God has prescribed as a way for sealing His Word upon our hearts and, and letting things drive in in a, in a powerful way. So... Um, all, all that said, every week you will have encountered the Word three times, on your own, with a group of men, and then under the, the teaching of your, your pastors and elders and, and other leaders in our church. And so that being, being said, hopefully it'll really drive down into your bones, and you'll walk away from this process like, I know what Genesis is about. For the rest of your life, I, I've studied that deeply. I get it. Um, uh, we'll, we'll do our very best to, uh, to make all that happen. So uh, with all that said, let me pause here. Taking about 20 minutes, and uh, I'd love to um, give you some time to get to know each other at these tables and process a little bit of what I said so far. So here's some discussion questions to guide you. Um, start off by introducing yourself and, and just take a minute or two. I know we've redone some of the tables and got some new people getting to know some new friends at each one. So take a few minutes and... Um, uh, tell us about yourself, your family, what brought you to Men of the Word this semester. Um, and then just three questions to sort of guide the rest of the time. Have you ever benefited from faithful spiritual leadership of men in your life? 
If so, tell us about it. So what was that like? If you've sort of had a good Daniel in your life, um, how did that play out? And then evaluate your current spiritual life. In what ways are you proud or disappointed with the current habits? It's been a few months. Christmas was there. Life can get busy. How have you been? How has your soul been? How has your diligence in seeking after the Lord been? Uh, be honest, men. We do no good when we lie. But, uh, but hopefully you can open up a little bit there. And then fourth question, what would you say is your prayer for yourself as we begin this study? Y'all take 15 minutes or so, and then we'll uh, end our time looking at Genesis, getting some uh, overview before we dive in. All right, guys, I'm going to steal you back. Um, I know you may not have finished going around the circle, uh, but hopefully you'll get a chance to still get to know each other more in the days ahead. And I might finish up a a minute or two before 7, so feel free to to finish up at that point. But I do want to hop into um, Genesis and uh, begin to sort of lay that foundation, especially because as our study kicks off tomorrow, as you dive into your book, or if you want to start today, um, we're, we're picking up in chapter 12. So what was going on before this? Uh, you may be familiar, and, and you know many of you did study with us back in, in part one. But uh, flip with me, if you, if you don't mind, in your notebooks to uh, page 11, which is week one in here. Uh, week one is kind of a lie. It's just day one. It's today, uh, us gathering together, Genesis introduction stuff. I did put a uh, little, or I had Jacob put um, these little guys in there for you uh, to, to make it easier to flip around. You can you kind of use that as a bookmark and keep up with where you are in the study. Um, and then just one other note about the notebooks. In the back, you will find another little uh, uh, hard divider that um, starts off the actual book of the, the text of Genesis. So we have double, uh, double spaced all of Genesis 12 through 50 back here in the back for you. Um, you're welcome to use your own Bibles, of course, but uh, we like doing this because it gives you extra space, big margins to be able to like annotate and, and track themes and all that kind of stuff. So uh, feel free to use that as you wish. But uh, there on page 11, um, let me go through some of the foundational stuff. Uh, for, for studying the book of Genesis. As with all books of the Bible, it's really important to understand context and what you're reading in order to, to make sure as much as possible that the things that you're reading uh, fall into the right place in your mind. Um, you know, the rule number one of studying the Bible is uh, what the Bible means is what it meant to the original author as he was writing to his original audience. So that's what it means, and we're seeking to understand that. And then it, there always is application to our lives. But just know Moses did not write Genesis to you. He wrote it to the Israelites at a different time. Uh, there's truth from God for all time. But we're looking for his intent. Um, and that being true, we need to know a little bit about him and, and why he wrote this, all that kind of stuff. So uh, a few things to go through here um, that you can fill in as we go. Who wrote the book of Genesis? I just gave it to you. It was Moses. Um, well, technically, it's anonymous, I should say that. Um, he never gives us his, his name, that he's the one who wrote it, but uh, church tradition does ascribe it to Moses, and not just our oral tradition, but it's actually uh, recorded in the, the words of Scripture as well. So uh, the first five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch, the Book of the Five, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and though we do view them as five separate books, and in a sense they were written on five separate scrolls, they're one book. I mean, Moses wrote all five of these as one encapsulation of the story as uh, as they were ex- the people of God were exiting Egypt and on their way to the Promised Land. Um, so uh, those five books are known as 
the book of Moses in the Bible or the book of the law of Moses. You can see references to it in First and Second Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah, all referencing the book of Moses, and it's talking about these books. So that tradition was very early on and was uh, encapsulated into Scripture itself. Uh, in fact, Jesus even references uh, Moses and Moses wrote of me and Moses talked of me and, and uh, these, these different references in the New Testament that, again, give a whole lot of credence to the reality that Moses did indeed write these books. Um, modern scholarship, um, in the form of higher textual criticism, they call it, um, does sort of deeply study these books and, and has some theories that it might not have been one author, that it could have been multiple ones that were editing together. Um, and some of them speculate that it wasn't Moses at all for a lot of interesting reasons. Uh, I've read all that stuff. It's not very plausible, and to me it doesn't hold any weight compared with the overwhelming weight of the tradition of Scripture and, and the tradition of the church through the ages. So in my opinion, I hold to Moses' authorship very strongly, um, and I think you can have very firm ground under your feet as well um, to hold that to. Um, the final form could include edits by later authors, but I do think it was originally uh, penned by Moses. But regardless, it has been... Um, in its final form, it is inspired. This is this is an inspired book of the Bible, so ultimately it was written by the Holy Spirit for our benefit. So there you go. Uh, that's who wrote it. When was it written? 15th century B.C. So um, the internal evidence of Scripture dates the Exodus moment when Israel left Egypt to 1445 B.C., a uh, very precise year there, mid-15th century. Um, and the initial writing by Moses of Genesis would have happened most likely during those 40 years as they were headed to the promised land. So uh, that's when we uh, presume uh, all five books of the Pentateuch were written um, there as they were wandering through the desert. Um, and its purpose is, uh, why it was written was, was very inextricably linked to the Pentateuch at large. Uh, it's providing historical context to the people of Israel for the Exodus. Um, in fact, when you read the Exodus and you hear that story, like all of it is connected to Genesis. I mean, again and again, God is saying, as he's intervening in the lives of the um, Israelites as them captivity, he's saying, I am the God of who? I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He just repeats this phrase like 10 different times as he's calling Moses and, and telling the Israelites what he's going to do. Um, and, and Moses here, there, I'm sure there was a lot of oral tradition that was known among the Israelites, but Moses is, is encapsulating the, the written history of the people of Israel so that they might understand who they are, who their fathers are, who, who their father's God was as they seek to now go and, and live as the people of God in this new land. So um, there you go. That encapsulates the next question. To whom was it written? The Israelite people. Uh, it's a compilation of their history as the people of God, as the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob um, were given a glimpse as to who their fathers were, what these promises were that, that God made to them. And... Uh, that, that as they're going through the Exodus, it's now being fulfilled. Those promises are coming to fruition. Um, in what style is it written? Uh, the, the best way to describe this genre is theological, historical narrative. So it is history. Uh, this is telling us um, historical overview of the creation of the world and the history of the first 2,300 years of human existence. Um, as, as we move from the story of Adam all the way to Israel's move into Egypt. That's what Genesis covers, that historical record. Um, so it's written like history. It's got dates and details and, and uh, whose dad was who and whose child was who and, and what year were they, uh, were they born in and this is where they lived and then they moved there. I mean, it's got a lot of historical uh, parts to it. But more than history, it's theology. Um, it's written in such a way as to communicate big truths about who God is and, and how we're supposed to know him and follow him. Um, so amidst the history, you have this great 
theological uh, perspective being given. One of my favorite commentaries that I've been using uh, in preparation for this study is, is uh, by a guy named Alan Ross, and he quotes it this way. He says, It's not history for history's sake, uh, but records of past events for the purpose of educating a people spiritually in the present. It presents a theological view of history, less interested in recording events for the sake of history than in using those events as vehicles for community, uh, communicating the verities of biblical faith. So you're going to see that in a very clear way, especially in part two of this book, um, but I wanted to ha- you to have it up front. And then um, this last question here, what are the themes? Uh, this is a big part of what we do here at Men of the Word, so I'm going to give you all four at once, and please write these down. And uh, if you don't mind, as you study, try to keep your eye on these. Try to circle them when they show up, when you see these words, when you see these concepts. Uh, track them, because one of the best ways to understand the, the meaning of any book of the Bible is to pay attention to the themes that the author is developing through the whole book. And you've got 50 chapters of, of development here, so it gets really rich, especially as we, as we enter uh, the second half here. But um, probably the biggest theme is blessing, and there's a, there's a sister theme built in here of cursing. Um, this is sort of rooted in the concept that God blesses his creation. He blesses uh, mankind. He blesses them with children. He blesses them with dominion over the earth. He blesses them with land. Um, he pours out. He doesn't you know, create the world to just exist without him. He pours out his blessing on them so that they might thrive and, and endure the hardships that come their way. Um, and it does stand in conjunction with cursing. When mankind rebels against God, they incur judgment, they incur, uh, rather than his blessing, his, his act of uh, judgment against them in, in the form of cursing. Um, but God sort of interacts and engages with humanity in that way. Huge theme, that, uh, probably the biggest one in the book for sure. Um, second one, sin and judgment. Into God's good Christian comes corruption. We saw big time in part one that sin enters the world and it incurs the judgment of God as a result. Um, but then the third one, grace. Amidst the judgment that could fall, God intervenes with grace and he often surprisingly uh, bestows on people who are incurring his judgment this unmerited, undeserved uh, mercy in the midst of the darkness. Um, and it, in, in big ways, it, it points to and it foretells the coming of Christ when the, the grace of God is seen most clearly, um, but definitely a theme that we'll see here. And then the fourth one, and this one's going to become really big in the second half of this book, but covenant. Um, the, the narratives of Genesis teach a covenant faith based upon a covenant God who makes and keeps promises with his people. So that's what the concept of covenant is, is God uh, creating a contract in a sense, a, a promise, a uh, a, a set of terms with his people um, where he is the God and they're his people and, and he will provide to them blessing and thing like, things like that. Um, we saw a first glimpse of that with Noah, the no- Noahic covenant, um, but we're going to see actually right here from the start of Genesis chapter 12, we're going to see the Abrahamic covenant that's going to extend to the people of Israel and really define um, life for them going forward. And, and though we live under the new covenant today, the covenant of Christ, the covenant inaugurated by his blood uh, spilled for us on the cross, in many ways, family, it's all one covenant. I mean, you can study covenant theology to understand this stuff, but, but uh, when we get to Romans, for example, when we're studying Romans, who does Paul use to, to illustrate the, the foundation of our faith, or the foundation of our uh, justification with God being faith? He points to Abraham. He says Abraham was justified by faith too. So in a very real sense, Genesis has a very big importance for all of the Bible. You're going to see Paul quote Genesis as he's explaining the faith that we have in Christ as he points to Abraham. So all of those things, I'll I'll do my best to point them out as they develop in Genesis, but keep your eyes on them because they are uh, pretty profound things playing out before us here. 
And with that, I got three minutes to give you a synopsis of the first 11 chapters. So uh, I'll walk through this as quickly as I can. Um, I'll give you a few sentences to sum it all up in case you uh, weren't with us in the spring. But uh, Genesis, how does it unfold? Well, there's two big parts to Genesis. The first part is primeval history. That's chapters 1 through 11. That's what we studied in the fall. Um, we're moving into this, this part 2. We'll cover the patriarchal history, the, the story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and Jacob's children as, as Jacob becomes Israel. Um, so that being said, let's, let's syn- uh, synopsize, summarize the, the uh, primeval history part. What happened in chapter 1? God created. He created the world. Uh, scripture opens with a formless, empty cosmos. Uh, darkness is upon the, the creation. The waters are covering the deep. But chapter 1 just unpacks this forming and filling of the heavens and the earth, uh, the beauty of God creating a, a very precise world, a, a symmetrical world, an organized world, and then putting uh, animals and plants and, and ultimately mankind in it as well. You have this great pairing. We saw this in, in chapter 1. Between the first three days and the second three days, God forming the earth, then filling the earth. And then comes the, the, the height of his creation, mankind created in his image on the, uh, at the top of those six days. But all that culminates in the seventh day. And the number seven is so significant in Genesis, it points to uh, this highly distinctive and significant seventh day of rest that God takes. It's meant to be a model for all of our lives. Um, but all that is chapter one as God creates. Chapter two, God gives mankind life marriage and purpose. So this is the, the moment when um, when it's, uh, the narrative zooms in the creation account to man itself, and you see uh, mankind formed from the dust, and God breathes life into his nostrils. He creates the woman and brings them together in marriage, and he gives them dominion. He says, go fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to have dominion over creation. You're to take trees and make homes. You're to take coal and make electricity one day. You're to, you're to use my creation, cultivate and harness it for good, for thriving. Gives mankind this, this work to do, this purpose, this, this life force um, that they're meant to express. And uh, all that is, uh, is meant to result in them filling the earth and carrying the glory of God everywhere. But chapter 3, man rebels against God and incurs judgment. Uh, you know the story of the fall. We studied it deeply. Amidst all the promises and all the good blessings of God, man decides to rebel and choose their own way and rival God rather than glorifying him. Um, and so you have uh, curses given in response to this, and you have uh, mankind falling away. Yet amidst it, a promise is given. Grace shows up as God promises that one day a child will come, an heir out of Eve will come who will crush the head of the serpent, that, that all the consequences of sin are going to be undone at some point. Um, but in chapters 4 and 5, we see that that doesn't come quickly. Sin, rather, begins to spread among the children of man. We see the story of Cain and Abel. We see Cain's line beginning to spread through the earth. And really, as we exit chapter 5, moving to chapter 6, um, uh, sin has spread everywhere. So that's chapter 6 is where the flood shows up. And in chapter 6 and 7, God is undoing creation in the flood, um, unleashing his judgment upon the earth. Uh, yet through it, again, comes grace, uh, grace in the form of this one family who will be preserved through it all. Um, so chapters 8 and 9 are sort of the story of a recreation, the flood subsiding and God releasing this new family, Noah's family, his children, into the earth and giving them the same mandate. Go, fill the earth, uh, multiply, subdue it, have dominion over it. And yet what do we see? Once again, sin takes over. Sin begins to spread 
um, uh, Adam or, or Noah as sort of a new Adam. He falls into sin of drunkenness and has this very strange encounter with his son Ham uh, that results in a new curse being given. Uh, sin begins to multiply through chapter 10 and sort of culminates in chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel narrative where though they were told to go spread and fill the earth, they say, no, let's settle in. Let's not be dispersed. Let's build a great name for ourselves. Let's build a great tower for ourselves. Let's make ourselves great. And, and God sees the, their sin. He sees their capacity for rebellion. And once again, he interrupts with grace. He, rather than allowing their sin to go forward, he steps in and, and uh, bl- breaks up their languages and forces them to move across the entire earth. They won't disperse themselves, so he disperses them for them. And right as the story is concluding, uh, this is where it all ended. We're told about the generations. We're given another list of generations after Noah. And ten generations later, there's a new guy who shows up named Abram. And the story sort of changes in a, in a weird way. It focuses in on him. I'd encourage you to look back at the end of chapter 11 before you dive into chapter 12 this week. But you see a new guy, ten generations from, from Noah, and he's barren. It's very interesting. This, this idea of blessing has been encapsulated in the fact that uh, they're having children through the generations. But suddenly, a guy and his wife, Abram and Sarah, are being born, and they're barren. They can't have children, yet they seem to be the focus point. Um, And so that's where we're going to enter into chapter 12, seeing God enter into that barrenness with new blessing. Um, So with all that being said, we're done this morning. Thanks for the extra few minutes. Um, Happy studying. Dive in this week. Study hard and come back next week ready to go. Let me close this in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. Uh, Would you bless it? Would you keep us? Would you bring us back next week ready to continue in this work? We love you. Uh, Send us out safely. It's in your name we pray. Amen.